Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today, I'm really excited to talk about something that's, I feel like, near and dear to my heart because I spent a lot of, I have spent a lot of time coaching myself through this process. Now, I've also hired coaches too. I love learning from other people. So I'll watch a coach, I'm, I'm serious, for like years, and then I'll hire them, I'll learn from them. I love it. I love seeing the way other people coach and train and utilize nutrition. And so I use it as an opportunity to learn. I I don't use it as a crutch. It's I'm here, I'm going to learn. And then when I go back to self-coaching, maybe I'll have a few more tools. And so sometimes I, I do think that that's how people should start their journey in fitness is that maybe you do invest because that's what it is. It's an investment into coaching because it's an opportunity for you to learn. So maybe I'm going to start out by investing in a coach, learn how, like really watch their patterns that they use for nutrition and training. And what do they focus on? What should I focus on? What are healthy expectations? How long is this really going to take? Use it as an opportunity to really learn from them. You know, hire somebody that you can ask them questions. So sometimes I'll have clients ask me questions and they're like, I'm not, I don't mean to question you. I'm just wondering why. And I'm like, well, I don't even care if you were questioning me. Like, good for you for thinking. Good for you. I love it. I love it when people think. So I don't love it when they're rude, but <laughs> right. There's a there's a difference between being rude and just honestly having questions that you're like, uh, I've always read this. Why are you doing this? Because there's probably a reason. Anyways, I love it when clients ask me questions. And I just feel like if you are going to hire a coach, it's an investment to learn because you're not always going to be with them. And don't hire a coach and then use them as a crutch of, well, I can't ever go without you. No, 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 no. You're doing this wrong then. Because you have to. In order for you to, in my opinion, really have a good, healthy relationship with yourself, with with fitness, there are going to be times where you coach. There are going to be times where you take a break and you venture out and you do it on your own. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes you're going to have successes to embrace both sides. So there are certain mindsets that don't do very well with self-coaching. And it's usually people who are all or nothing, who are really, really, really scared of any like failure is not an option. No, it is. It is because that's how we learn. So people who are really rigid, it's like, I can't do anything wrong. It's like people who are really rigid end up breaking. You need to learn flexibility. And flexibility is this ability to lean in and out of failure and success. Like that is like my favorite definition of flexibility. Because if you can lean into failure and glean knowledge, wisdom, and experience from it, then you bring that into what what makes you lean into success is, is actually you leaning into failure. It is that ability to be like, well, I tried this and this and this on my body and it didn't really work. It didn't really respond. Now I've learned 
And now I have wisdom to be able to change a few things and changing those things, learning from the failure actually pushes you into success. So people who are flexible like that really thrive self-coaching, but not everybody is naturally like that. And that's okay. We can learn how to be. And most of this comes down to the mind. If you've followed me for a while or listened to a lot of my podcasts, you've probably heard me talk about there are two aspects of fitness that we need to master or at least be aware of and know and be striving towards mastery, right? The first is science. We need to know how nutrition is affecting us, how energy balance or, you know, imbalances one way or the other leads towards building, leads towards fat loss, or energy balance is keeping us at maintenance. We we need to know these things, how they affect our body. We need to understand training and working out and the differences. We need to understand the basics of you don't you actually don't need to understand the like in-depth nuances of all of these things. You actually really don't. For general population, basics are really good enough. Basics, doing the basics plus time leads you to your goal, period. Uh, recently, I posted a before and after picture of, of my legs. That was something that I really wanted to, to build. Some people want like real skinny legs and that's great. I'm not going to say what people should like or not like. I don't care. But personally, I really wanted more femininely fit legs. I really wanted, I wanted thicker legs. I, I felt like it would actually make me look healthier in a lot of ways, make me look and feel stronger. That's what I wanted. So that's what I worked towards. And it did. It, it was the basics. Everything that I teach you guys on Instagram, on this podcast, it was the basics plus time, plus time. And anyway, so I posted this before and after and, and people were like, oh, how long, how, you know, how soon can I have that? And, da, 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 da. and it's like, well, I don't, first off, I don't know because I don't know what, what your baseline is. We all start at different baselines, right? So to look at somebody's before and after and say, well, that's like, oh, oh, that only took them three months. I can get that in three months. Well, what's your baseline? Is it the same exact as theirs? Do you have their same exact genetics? Do you have their same exact mindset and abilities to follow the plan? Can you be as aggressive as they were? Or do you need to work in more of a moderate approach? There are so many things to this. So the science is great, but you also need to master the psychology. And I would actually say the psychology is the most difficult aspect because I can't tell you how many times people have been given adequate enough plans, plans that if they just follow, even plans from like, a macro calculator, just follow it. And I, I almost hate saying the word just, right? Because that minimizes, I feel like the effort that it takes. 
But if one were to follow it, they would see themselves hit their goal. But the psychological game of fitness is what most people actually struggle with the most. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this. I do want to go off on one tangent because it wouldn't be a Lifting Lindsay podcast if there wasn't at least like one tangent that I went off on. I've been, there's this bell curve and I, I've talked about this a few times, but I just want to emphasize this again. I can't remember if I've talked about it on my podcast before, but I have talked about it on Instagram, especially in stories where I show this bell curve, right? And 70%, those people that are falling somewhere in the middle, those are just, that's normal. That's, you're just, you're normal. You're going to lose body fat or build muscle at a relatively normal pace, which is probably slower than what everybody wants. Just join the crowd. We all want it faster, but we're not. We're part of the average club, right? And then there are people, there are the outliers. So we have people who are hyper responders where they just respond to anything. They walk in the gym, they just look at a weight and it's like, bam, they got delts. I swear they just looked at the dumbbell and it's like, bam, they have muscle, which can often be deceiving because these hyper responders usually have really good genetics for fat loss and building muscle and they can do whatever and they seem to respond really well. And then all these people who are following them are like, I'm doing all of these weird movements that they're doing. Why don't I look like them? Well, you're not a hyper responder. You're normal. And normal needs a bit more optimization when it comes to their goals. We've talked about that and the difference between working out and training episode. And then we have the hypo like responders. They're responding a little bit below average and they just have to continue putting in the time. That's it. It's continue doing the basics, the boring basics, plus time. And wherever you fall on the spectrum, it's always funny because it's, it's never good enough, right? We don't want to have that mindset, but usually we do. I've talked to hyper responders who are like, oh, I just want it faster. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, shoot me. Are you like, really? And it it's, I, I just kind of want to throw them into the world of normal responding and be like, okay, never complain again about how quickly you respond compared to other people. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is because when we look at three-month transformations that are posted by coaches, I actually don't generally post transformation pictures and I have my reasons for that. Usually it's because when I post one, I have three or four clients saying, why aren't I seeing as fast results? And that can come down to compliance and it can come down to genetics and it can come down to mindset. And so I personally, I like to keep my client's progress personal because I usually have one or two that it doesn't encourage them, it discourages them. And that may be right or wrong. It doesn't matter. That's the effect it has. And so I choose not to do this. But there are coaches that do. And I'm not saying that they're bad for doing this. Like, go you. You know, you choose your own path. But we have coaches that 
do boot camps where there's like 50 to 100 people that are doing this boot camp. And who do you think that they're, when, when the 12 weeks are up or however long, which pictures do you think that they're going to post? Do you think they're, they're going to post, well, this was my hypo responder. She did everything right. Her progress was a little bit slower, but she still made progress and we should celebrate that. Most people don't. I have seen a few that I really like when they do that. Um, or this is on average what we see. No, they're more than likely going to be like, they're going to look at all of the pictures, all of the people who responded, and they're not going to draw from the hypo or the average. They're probably going to draw from the hyper, the hyper responders. Because that's, it's marketing. And I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. I'm just kind of saying that this is it. And I just want you as the consumer to be aware of what you're consuming. So next time you're seeing these transformation pictures, instead of comparing yourself to them, I just kind of want you to go into it with a little bit more knowledge that out of like 50 to 100, they picked this one. And why do you think they picked it? They're going to pick the one that makes them look the best as the coach. So just keep that in mind as you're flipping through, scrolling through, you know, Instagram or social media, or whatever it is that you're consuming, okay? We need to be a little bit more educated as a consumer. So let's dive into the common mistakes that I see people make when it comes to self-coaching. So I'm going to spend majority of my time talking about the psychology because most people actually get good enough plans. They can literally use a macro calculator online and it is going to be good. If it puts them into a calorie deficit, that is for like, you know, if their goal is fat loss, then it's good enough. Now we have to make sure that the mind is in the right place. Or if they're trying to build muscle and they use a, a macro calculator online and, and they get a build, you know, calorie surplus macros, it's probably good enough. They just have to put in the time. And people don't like hearing that. And I really think that the reason why they don't like hearing that, they, they want there to be a, a secret pill. They want there to be this one, one little item of optimization that they're missing because then it explains it all. It explains why they're not seeing the success that they want to. Because it's really hard to take accountability. It's really hard to be honest with yourself, to look inside yourself and be like, maybe I'm not really following the plan. That's hard to do. It, it makes us, it puts us into an uncomfortable position where we have to sit in very uncomfortable feelings. And so what we tend to like to do instead is I'm going to look for the magic exercise that somebody's doing or the magic pill or the magic nutrition or the magic macro ratio or the magic carb cycling, or the magic keto, or the magic intermittent fasting, or the they're just looking for some reason, or just, there's a little bit of self-deception in this. Because the truth is that when we get it in regards to fat loss, as long as we are in a calorie deficit, 
we are going to be losing weight. Now, the body makes adjustments as we sit in a calorie deficit. And so sometimes we will have to continue through the diet to move calories down. So the last diet I did was 10 to 11 weeks and I moved the calories down two times. I probably only needed to do it once, but I really wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. And so I pushed them down again. So clients sometimes in a 12 week period, we see usually adjustments on macros like one to two times. So the first nutrition plan you get, it's kind of our best guess. We watch over two to three weeks, see how things work. We may adjust the initial ones. We may not. They may be good enough. But here's the thing. A lot of times people are, they just don't want to say, I haven't been following it. Because they actually feel in their mind that they're, they're focusing so much on it, that the effort is so big that they have to be following it. But really, they're just in the diet mindset. Their mind is in a diet. Their body's not because they're, they're going out on the weekends and not tracking. They are, you know, eating BLTs, bites, licks, tastes all throughout the day. A lot of stuff. They're like, oh, I'll track at the end of the night. And they track and they're like, oh, see, I hit my numbers. Well, you forgot about X, Y, and Z that you ate. And now later, so you think you're being honest, but you're not. So actually when a client sees a slight plateau in pictures, in measurements and weight, I'll have them pause and be like, okay, we are going to do a really honest, deep dive. Am I being a hundred percent or do I just, or am I being 80%, but I want a hundred percent of the reward. And for my goal, that 80% actually won't get me there. I know that that's taught a lot that, oh, just be 80%. But sometimes depending on the goal and how fast we want to get there, 80% actually won't cut it. And I know that that's an uncomfortable statement, but I'm here to help not to just make you feel comfortable. There's a huge difference. So, and that's what coaches do too. And you need to learn to be your coach. If you're going to take this path, you need to step into the uncomfortable of coaching yourself and being really, really honest and sitting in uncomfortable feelings. Doesn't mean you shame yourself. It doesn't even mean you judge yourself. It just means that you look in and you ask yourself hard questions. You feel the uncomfortableness of, oh, I haven't been following the plan. Actually, I've been making up a ton of excuses of just why I can't. And sit in that uncomfortable feeling without shame and judgment. That's hard. And, but that's key to emotional health. You sit in it and you learn from it. Okay. You don't shame yourself. So that, and that's something beautiful that we can teach our children, but we have to master it before we can try to teach our children. We have to be aware of that and we have to master it. We are going to be talking about the, um, we are, we are going to be talking about the psychology of this. I swear we're going to get into this, but honesty is huge. It is so important, but I want to talk about why people make really, really bad reactive decisions. That's the number one. Well, number one is I don't feel like people are always honest with themselves when they're self-coaching. In fact, people will come to me and be like, oh, I've been eating 1300 calories for years and I haven't lost a pound. And I'll be, and they're like, I, I need to reverse. And a lot of times I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that they need permission though, to exit the diet mindset and just to 
to be given permission to eat. Just, I'm going to give you permission to eat at maintenance. But sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, let's just start at like 1600 calories. And all of a sudden they start losing weight. So the 1300 calories was too aggressive for them to actually be compliant. But the 1600 is that sweet spot. And that's what we try to go for. It's that sweet spot. That's the number one thing is sometimes we aren't honest and sometimes we don't, we don't, I don't think people mean to lie. I just think that we don't even realize it. Second, we allow our brain to take control of the steering wheel. I see this a lot. Somebody hits a very, very slight plateau. Maybe they hit a plateau. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just don't even know how to appropriately measure success. Maybe they're only going off of the scale when, if they maybe chose to use the scale plus pictures, plus how do I feel, plus measurements, they would actually, in regards to fat loss, they would actually see a broader picture in that they haven't plateaued. And if the scale is staying the same, but their measurements are going down, great. That's an indication that you're building muscle. Even in a fat loss phase, that's possible for people especially people who are newer in lifting and who maybe are for the first time doing an actual real lifting program and not like a bouncy bouncy program or just going to cardio classes or only doing cardio. So that is very, very real. So sometimes people will hit these thought plateaus or maybe real plateaus and Instead of analyzing the plan and and first making sure that they're following the plan, they kind of emotionally react. Or even just in one week, after seven days, the scale didn't move down and they just emotionally react. Well, why is that? You know, I see it all the time. They're like, oh, I lost two pounds. And then after seven days, the next time I weighed myself, I didn't lose anything. I stalled. I hit a plateau. It's not working. I don't know why people think that there's something magical about seven days. I don't know why they think that their body's like, oh, it's been seven days. We better, we better lose a little bit more fat because she's about to step on the scale, guys. No, there's nothing magical about seven days. Please get over that. There's nothing magical about 10 days, 13 days, 14 days. Okay. There's nothing magical about that. So remember the consistency. Usually I tell people, if you followed the plan 100% after three weeks and see no progress whatsoever in all those measurements, okay, now you can tell me you've hit a plateau. Now we can thoughtfully examine the plan, maybe increase cardio, or if you don't have time to do that, maybe decrease calories. So research has shown that nutrition has more of a sway over fat loss than just continuing to add and add and add more cardio. So just think about that. But we can, you know, offset them. Maybe one uh, maybe one time you lower the calories and the next time you're like, okay, I'll increase the cardio. So there's that flexibility. If you're going to self-coach, flexibility is key, okay? So the seven days will pass and they will be like, oh, it didn't work. I'm going to add two hours of cardio every single day, right? And we kind of sometimes jump to irrational decision-making when self-coaching. And this is where a ton of people just kill themselves. 
because then pretty soon it's like seven days training in the gym plus one to two hours of cardio. And I'm like shocked at the, how, what they're doing to themselves. So, and it's actually driving overall compliance down, 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 down. So let's talk about what happens in the brain. A lot of times individuals will have history. They'll have messages over time that build narratives and paradigms in their head. A very, very common one for women is that they're that the scale always needs to be going down, that that a certain number on the scale means that they are beautiful, that they have value. They'll tie a lot of things to this number that actually means nothing. And nobody came up to them and said, Sally, you need to weigh 120 pounds and then you'll be beautiful. Nobody ever really came up and told them that directly. But all of these messages that they've been pulling in, whether from family, from friends, from culture, and then you have to understand that their own psychology builds this narrative. So for example, I was raised by a mom who was always trying to lose five pounds. I, and my dad would joke about it all the time, all the time. He's like, mom and your mysterious five pounds. And some of my sisters became equally as fixated on just wait, 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 wait. And some of us, we were just like, well, whatever. So even though we were getting the same messages, our interpreters were different. And, and I think that that's really important to understand. We can't just project ourselves onto other people because we all have our own different interpreters. And I actually believe that part of emotional maturity is understanding that, that not everybody views things the same way nor interprets them the same way. But we build these narratives. I have clients who have never, ever in their life had an issue with the scale, even though they grew up with a mom who was anorexic. And they were constantly getting these messages in their mind that they needed to look a certain way. And they're coming to me now because they're like, I just want to build muscle. And they're okay moving into a build and putting on 10, 15 pounds, and it doesn't even phase them, right? So... Just because messages are being sent doesn't mean that they're being received and interpreted the same way as somebody else. Whereas I have other clients who struggle, who almost overcorrected. Now I'm overweight because I didn't want to be like my mom who was obsessed with being skinny. And so I overcorrected, but now I'm not healthy. Just help me be healthy. I just want to be healthy. So there's just, we build these narratives and we have certain just paradigms in our mind. So if somebody steps on the scale and their mind tells them, no, you need to weigh 120 pounds, then they're going to step on the scale. And if they weigh 122, alarms start going off in their head. The amygdala, this portion of your brain, activates a fight or flight response. Isn't that interesting? A fight or flight. So it's either a no, 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 no. I need to do more cardio, more. Or it's this, oh, it just doesn't work for me. I'm going to give up. Nothing works for me. See, right? I mean, those are the extremes that I see all the time. People jump back and forth from. So it's this fight or flight response. And without any initiative from you, you're not sitting there thinking, 
I'm going to step on the scale today, and depending on what the scale says, I'm going to have a fight-or-flight response. Nobody thinks that. These things just happen, right? So when that part of the brain senses danger, it signals your brain to pump stress hormones, preparing your body for either this fight-or-flight, this survival. It's a survival mechanism. So you have the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is the part of the brain that is in charge of cognitive control and function. And it's like the common sense brain. It's like that we want this part of our brain to be firing. It is common sense. It's rational thinking. It's I'm going to be proactive. Uh, think about the amygdala as a reactive. They both have their, their roles in our brain. So this is the part, the prefrontal cortex. We want it to be firing right. But what happens is when the amygdala activate, it pretty much turns off the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex pretty much steps aside. It allows the amygdala to take over. And this usually induces mental paralysis and panic. Does that sound familiar, ladies? So all of a sudden it's panic. I don't know what to do. The plan's not working. I don't, and the plan may be working. But it's just like this. I have women that will send me messages and they're almost paralyzed with, with fear of, I can't move. I can't do anything. Like, just tell me what to do. And it is because they are being run off of their amygdala. The amygdala is in the driver's seat. It has full control over that steering wheel. And now I want to pause though and have you think about this. So is, your, is there something wrong with your brain that it's reacting this way? Do you know what's cool about this? Is there's nothing wrong with your brain. There's nothing wrong with you. If you have these reactions, there is nothing wrong. Great. Good for you. Your brain is working like it should. There, we want these reactions in our brain. That It helps us survive. And we may not be running from, you know, the bear, but man, we're, we're, we have emotional things that we need to be safe from, right? Not just physical. And so everything's working right. And I want you to take a moment and pause and actually be grateful. Your brain is working right. There is nothing wrong with you. But we do need to be the one in the driver's seat. This is actually why meditation is incredibly important for people. Why I talk about it a lot, why I do it a lot. You learn to allow thoughts to come in and out without giving them power. Think about that for a minute. Wow. Wow. That is a superpower in life. That's something that I want to teach my children. But I first have to know how to do it myself to be able to teach my children. I allow a thought to come in. That is what meditation is. It's not to have no thoughts. That's impossible. It is this ability to learn to have thoughts come in and out. So I'm a very visual person. And this is actually how I visualize it. And this is how I visualize it when I'm meditating too. Is I think of thoughts as balloons. I know this is really funny, you know, but balloons are floating and they have these strings on them. And I think about these thoughts kind of floating into my mind 
And I have the power to grab onto one of those strings and hold on. And if I hold on tight enough, that thought is going to take me with it, right? It's going to be huge. It's going to carry me away. So when we step onto that scale and we see a number, we need to have this superpower of letting thoughts come in and out. So you step on that scale, you weigh 140 pounds, but something in your mind, a thought comes in saying, you should, that word should, so driven by shame, right? You should be 120. Because I don't know why somebody chose that number, right? But somebody did. Um, but you should be 120. You have the opportunity to watch that thought come in and almost open the door and allow it to go out. Or you have the power to grab onto that should and say, oh, I should. You should have seen the scale move down. Are you going to grab onto that one? Let it carry you away. Let it drive you. Let your amygdala turn on and just take full control. You're right. I should. I shouldn't eat anymore. I should fast. I should do a cleanse. I should do two more hours of cardio every day, right? That should is a dangerous word. So allowing those thoughts to come in and out, that is what meditation is. And it's allowing yourself to kind of feel the uncomfortableness that comes with those thoughts. But just let it, let it keep floating by. Don't change anything. Just let it keep floating by. That is a superpower. Okay? Don't let your brain rule you. Every thought you have is not a fact. It's not. It's not true. That's the problem with our world today is any thought that comes into somebody's mind, they just think, oh, that's truth. I thought it, so it's truth. That's not necessarily true. We need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about grabbing those balloons and letting it carry us into places, getting that amygdala firing off. You know, few good decisions are made when stress is just that cortisol is pumping through our body, right? It's really few are. So I want you to think about that in regards to self-coaching. Maybe it's time for you to start meditating more. That is something that I have as part of my morning routine. I love it. It's been extremely, extremely powerful. So just on a personal note, without sharing too much information, I experienced something in my life that was extremely traumatic to me and very hurtful. And the trauma really brought on a trauma response. A trauma response is the amygdala taking over. And so I had to really dive into like feeling, um, I had some pretty scary feelings. I, I've, I, for most part of my life, I felt like I'd been somebody that my prefrontal cortex was turned on and I really liked making proactive, wise decisions and really thinking things through. And all of a sudden I was experiencing, experiencing in my life to a really big degree that amygdala just turning on and fight or flight and my emotion and me grabbing onto that, that balloon and being carried away by my emotions. 
in a very extreme way. And I had never experienced it in my life. And it was really hard for me not to fall into the trap of identifying myself as, am I just crazy? Am I just highly emotional and, and being driven by this? And so I really, one thing that really helped me was diving into the science of the brain and seeing that, do you know what? No, there's nothing wrong with me. And I'm going to, and, and then I had to learn, I had to pull in these tools to help me almost step back into the seat to be able to identify when the amygdala was in the driver's seat with that wheel going crazy. And there were times where I would try to reach over and, and grab the wheel from them, right? And try to steer it. We're both trying to steer it. And I had to get a lot of tools to be able to, to see what was happening in my brain. And I think one of the greatest tools was to be grateful, to see what was happening and say, you know, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. You're trying to keep me safe. You're trying to protect me, but I'm going to choose to be in control. I'm going to choose to um, be proactive and not reactive. I'm going to choose something else because I actually can think further ahead and instead of just giving into that reaction. So one, choosing gratitude and being like, thank you so much for doing what you're supposed to do. But but let me take, let me take the wheel. I, I kind of think about it as like this. Have you ever had a child come up and be like, mom, I want to help. And they do do more damage than good. Sometimes I feel like, like they're like, I want to help you clean the kitchen. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to take way longer. Right. Or they're like, oh, let me do the dishes for you. And then you go to the dishwasher. You have to re, you know, put all of the, <laughs> re like put in all of the dishes in a more organized way that will actually allow them to get clean. I feel like that's what this is. That's what this is. The amygdala is the child being like, I want to help. It's like, oh, thank you. You're so kind, but let me, let me take over. Let me, let me be in the driver's seat. I think it's great. You know, my eight-year-old wants to drive, but probably not wise. Let me do it. And, and it is important to note that we are different from our brain. And our brain really is focused on one thing, survival. And it's great at helping us survive, but sometimes it just does not make really good decisions. And so we have to learn to take control of that steering wheel again. And the one of the greatest tools for me really was knowing what's going on in the brain. And then meditation was a tool to help. And meditation and gratitude, really, those worked hand in hand for me. But meditation was huge in allowing me to allow thoughts to come in recognizing them and saying, you know, I don't want to hold on to you. I don't want to be carried away by you. I'm just going to let you pass. And that's really important when we are coaching ourselves, stepping on that scale and not letting it dictate what we think is huge. So those that are able to step on the scale and use it as merely one tool of many are going to be really good using that tool. Otherwise, it shouldn't be used. It shouldn't be a measuring tool. If you step on that scale and thoughts come into your head and you grab onto that string and you allow yourself to fly off in whatever emotional direction, then that is a huge red flag for you that that, that tool is not good for you. It's not good for your mind. You, you're not emotionally where you need to be to use it well. So 
take a step back. Don't use it for a while. Use other measuring tools or use meditation and practices to help you view it as just a tool. There are some things in my life that after that traumatic event, there were some things that triggered me. And I remember they talking to me about how they avoid their triggers. And I'm like, isn't that funny? I'm actually the opposite. I, I remember one specific trigger looking at it thinking, you are just a thing and you will have no power over me. And that was a really great point for me in my recovery process, being able to look at it and say, no, I'm stronger than you. You're just a thing. Um, and so I was able to overcome that trigger and I was really proud of myself too for doing that. But anyways, hopefully you can learn a little bit from what I shared about being honest, knowing how your brain is working and that it's not broken, showing gratitude for it, using meditation as a great way to overcome those thoughts and learn to be the master of your mind. I think that is honestly my life goal. I suck at it in a lot of ways. and in, But but to me, I don't look at that as like, oh, I'm so horrible at that. It's like, oh, awesome. There's an opportunity for growth there. So I'm excited. I think that if there weren't any opportunities for growing, life would be really boring. That's just how I view life. So another, a few other things that I want to talk to you about, about self-coaching. The art of lowering your expectations. I know that sounds funny because you're used to people being like, shoot for the moon, right? Have those really high expectations. And I'm over here like, no, you got to lower those expectations. And the reason why I say lower your expectations is because most of us, we just want it faster. We do. We all, well, not most of us, all of us, we just want it faster. And if we can lower our expectations, if we can fall in love with the process I know you've heard that one a lot, but it is really key. If we can fall in love with the process and not the outcome, then it will actually help us because we will be more satisfied and in a peaceful place during the process. So there's a great quote here that I'd love to share with you. And this is from one of my favorite books, Atomic Habits. If you have not read that book, I cannot encourage you enough. That is on one of like on my top five books. That's one that I feel like should be reread every so often too. Here, James Clear, the author says, when you fall in love with the process rather than the product, you don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. And I want you to really think about that. You can be satisfied anytime your system is running. And a system can be successful in many different forms, not just the one you first envisioned. Because as you get into fitness, a lot of times we do have this vision of how it's going to happen, how it's going to, how it's going to go. And we do have to find that we need to kind of lower our expectations, shift our expectations. Maybe that's a better framework for that. We have to shift our expectations to line them up better with reality and with our efforts and with our systems. So sometimes we walk into dieting with crazy high expectations that are based off of emotion rather than logical thinking. We feel like if we give a lot, because this journey is hard, then we deserve insert expected results. 
So this isn't how it works for a majority of people. So shifting your expectations, look for every possible sign of progress and celebrate it. If you feel leaner, if you feel stronger, celebrate it. You don't need a DEXA to tell you are leaner. You feel it, you celebrate it. Also with the understanding that hormones shift our feelings. So if there's last week, my hormones had shifted and I was in kind of this pit and I, it was a really bad time for me to sit there and think about my progress and my body because I, my hormones were such that I, that season I was in was kind of like this fall winter. Uh, if you haven't listened to my podcast on how women go through these seasons, men go through these seasons of feelings as well. I really want, I want to encourage you to listen to that because I feel like for a lot of people, it's very eye-opening. So there are certain seasons, fall and winter, where our hormones have shifted and we're not going to feel our best. And that's actually a lot can, can influence our mind as well. And that's when a lot of people go to extremes of like, oh, I need to lose even more weight. I need to add even more to my plate. I can barely do what I'm doing right now, but I need more, right? Because they feel this shift of negativity towards their body and they take that thought as truth, even though hormones are dictating some of this too. Remember, it's not just because you feel it, just because you think it doesn't make it a fact. And so we've got to, we've got to step back and analyze what's going on in my life right now. Have my hormones shifted? Is my period coming? Am I about to enter the winter of these seasons that women go through? Well, it's probably a really bad time right now to make emotional decisions then or decisions in fitness because more than likely they will lean towards that emotion. And then the last one that I want to talk about is motivation and messing up. Okay. One, you won't always be motivated. And that's why we need systems. You need to always be doing your systems, but you all, you won't always feel like this crazy high motivation. So research has shown time and time again, that motivation doesn't change people, but establishing habits and systems does. And that's what lasts. You will mess up guys. I just want you to like breathe that in. I feel like I touched on it at the beginning that we need that flexibility of messing up and gathering knowledge will actually, and learning from it will actually propel us into success. A lot of times when my clients aren't compliant, I'll say, well, what are you going to change next week? Well, I'm just going to follow the plan. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, hmm, I don't know. Okay. That we're not learning. That's a sign that we're not learning from the past. We're just forcing ourselves to be, try to find some motivation to just follow the plan and force it. No, 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 no. Pause. Why didn't you follow the plan? What was going on in your life? What were the stresses? Were there, were, were you not sleeping very well? Um, were you trying to eat like a bunny rabbit during the day, which made you binge at night? I mean, there's all of these things we need to pause. We need to look back what was going on, learn from it. And then come up with a plan for the next week. Well, I noticed that my sleep, I was only sleeping like five to six hours. I was watching all this Netflix. Awesome. Bam. That is a plan. No more of that. Prioritize sleep. Get seven to eight hours. That's, that's the kind of changes that I want to hear as a coach because that means you are pausing. You are looking back at the, the 
the you of yesterday, you are learning from them and you're getting an actionable plan that will set you up for success for today and tomorrow. So hopefully my Lindsay's ramblings today have at least one or two things have encouraged you or taught you, helped you be a little bit more aware during this process. I think awareness is huge. As long as when we start becoming more aware, then we are aware of the real changes that need to happen. So hopefully this has been a helpful podcast for you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to message me on Instagram. You can follow me there at Lifting Lindsay. If you have any questions about my coaching or my training app that offers optimized training, then visit my website at liftinglindsay.com.